it was, am I, am I on okay? make sure I've got my part on. Yep, it's, it's okay. All right. It was a dark, stormy night. It was. <laughs> Rain was coming down like buckets. Through the sheets of rain coming down, the captain peered onto the horizon. He was a man who was used to storms. He was a man who was used to guiding his vessel safely. But he noticed something. A light. A light was shining in his eyes. It was another vessel. It was a vessel on a collision course with him. The time, World War II. He is patrolling the Atlantic Ocean off our coast. He hollers down to his radio man and he says, Quick, bring them up, bring them up, and tell them to turn 10 degrees to the port. His radio man radios it out. And he says, Sir, we've gotten reply. They told us to turn 10 degrees starboard. The captain was not used to taking orders. He turned, he said, tell the man, I'm the captain of this ship, turn 10 degrees port. And the radio officer replies, he says, he's a seaman third class. And he said to tell you, turn 10 degrees to the starboard. The captain is getting furious. Tell the man that I am a U.S. naval destroyer. Turn 10 degrees to the port. To which the man replied. He says he's a lighthouse. Turn 10 degrees to the starboard. Now, I don't know if that story is true. I've heard it several times. I've heard it with a battleship instead of a destroyer. I don't know if the story is true, but its point hits home. You have to operate with correct information to have a good outcome. If you operate with falsehood, if you operate with a lie or a misbelief, you are going to have the possibility of a tragic outcome. This is what Jesus is doing before he enters into the Lord's Prayer. We saw last week, we saw what had to be true about your heart. That your heart mattered. Why you are approaching God matters. He, he recalculates where our heart is to be. And this week, we're going to take one more verse and we're going to look at how we have to recalculate and have our heart right in a different area. Have our belief about prayer right in a different area so that we don't have tragic outcomes. I shared with you, for many of us, prayer is a matter of life and death spiritually. 
that, that sometimes we're on the verge of walking away from God because he doesn't seem to, to respond like we need him to respond. And sometimes because we are asking him with faulty understanding, we are asking him for things and asking him to do things he never promised to do. You see, uh, it can be tragic if we don't apply truth. I think about our dear friend, the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter uh, was talking with Jesus and Jesus was teaching his men and Jesus said, now I'm going to teach you about the fact that I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to have to suffer. I'm going to have to die. I'm going to be crucified. And Peter grabs him and pulls him aside and says, no, don't talk like that. God wouldn't allow that. It doesn't fit in my theology. It, 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 isn't, it isn't true, Jesus. You see, Peter's like the rest of us. We have this wonderful filter built within us that when we hear things we don't like, we ignore them. We, we put them to the side. And so Peter's trying to tell Jesus, Jesus, you're saying some things. I don't like what you're saying, so I'm going I'm to put it to the side. And Jesus looks at him, and you might recall what he said. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. Peter's what? And it says from that point on, he's teaching him time and time and time again that he's going to have to suffer and die on the cross. And then the night comes, the upper room, the time in the garden, and the people come to take Jesus, and Peter pulls his sword, and, and it cuts off an ear, and an ear gets put back on, and, he'll, and then all of a sudden, it dawns on Peter. Everything I've believed up to this point is wrong. I thought he was just going to be crowned king. Not suffer and die. And Peter does three things. He denies his Lord. He disowns his Lord. And then he deserts his Lord. His faith comes crashing down. Why? Because he had built it off some false beliefs. Oh, friends, if we build our prayer off false beliefs, our faith may come crashing down. So let's see how Jesus wants to recalibrate us this week. So take your Bibles. We're going to turn to the first book of the New Testament. It's called Matthew. Matthew, and I'm going to ask that you would turn to chapter 6. And I would like you to look with me as we look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It's the one I love to preach from. So it may be a little different than some of yours. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And when you pray, notice that. We saw that last week. Prayer is understood as a normal part of our spiritual existence. We are to be people who pray. I love how... Um, 
One person said, you know, I, I don't do well, Pastor Greg, getting down on my knees, so I just kind of keep an ongoing conversation with God throughout the day. That's prayer. Talking with God. It is to be a normal experience for the average Christian. And so he reminds us of that. He says, recalculate. Remember, this isn't something grandiose. This isn't a big uh, to-do that you have to do with God. Recalculate. Prayer needs to be part of your everyday life. But then he goes on. He says, do not be like the Gentiles. Or do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Last week, we talked about hypocrites. These are people who know better. He now takes us to people who don't know better. The Gentiles. Your Bible may also use the word pagan. Here's the thing. Where they lived, they were awash. The Gentiles were awash in a sea of gods, little g. They were surrounded by little g gods. Their faith system was a system that believed in lots and lots and lots of gods. We call that poly or many theism. God. Many gods. They believed in lots of them. And, and they believed in a god for everything. You want to you wanna go talk to the tree, then you pray to the god of the tree. You want to move that rock, you first pray to the god of the rock. You want to go to uh, have a great harvest, you have the God of the harvest. But not only do you pray to the God of the harvest, but you better pray, pray to the God of the rain. And not only should you pray to the God of rain, but you better pray to the God of the wind. And you better not only just forget the God of wind, but you better pray to the God of the sun. But you also want to pray to the God of fertility so it'll work out. Are you tired yet? That was their system. You prayed to everything. And these gods weren't your friends they didn't care a whit about you these gods the purpose of these gods was for their own self-indulgence they were capricious they were cruel they were unfair and so the gentiles created a system it became like a genie out of a bottle, an incantation, a lucky charm. They created a system where if they did things a certain way, that was obligated to obey them, to fulfill what they wanted. It was a, it was a system where they would babble. That's what that word empty phrases means. Babble. They would keep on a prayer and they would just keep praying that prayer over and over and over and if there were required sacrifices they would do it including throwing their children into the fire if that's what it took for whatever they were praying for but they would babble on and on and on and on and not 5 10 15 20 we're talking for hours we see this when elijah the prophet of god has a conflict with the prophets of Baal. They're on top of Mount Carmel. And I don't know if you remember the story, but 
there had been a drought and there were two altars and they were going to see which God was the real God. And so the prophets of Baal, 450 of them are gathered around their altar and, and Elijah's gathered around his and he says, okay guys, you get to start. And the 450 prophets of Baal begin to, to, to shout, Baal, hear a cry, 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 Baal, hear a cry. And faster, faster. And they would work themselves up into an emotional frenzy. Baal, hear a cry, Baal, hear a cry, Baal. And they began to be a babbling. Now I have to admit, Elijah was the original smack talker. He's sitting there going, hey, maybe he's asleep. Hey, maybe he's on a walk. Maybe you had to take a bathroom break. I don't know. Find him. But they began doing it over and over and over. Why? Because they were hoping that by their great rep repetition of all these simple words over and over and over, their God would have to obey. Have to give them what they wanted to God and put him in a box. It happened later. If you recall, Paul got a bunch of people who built idols mad at him in Ephesus. And so they all start crying out. Great is Diana. Great is Artemis of Ephesus. Great is Artemis of Ephesus. Great is Artemis. And they, for two hours, shout that faster and faster and faster until it becomes simply babbling. Now, something had happened a few hundred years before. God brought his people into the promised land. So they all come into the promised land, and he shows them something that that Gentile world, that that pagan world had never seen before. And to find out what he showed, we need to go to the Shema. That's a Hebrew word that simply means listen, or probably more directly, quiet, listen up. So I want you to turn to with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's the fifth book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And I want you to look at chapter 6. We're going to look at the Shema. Against this sea of many gods. Gods who were simply a lucky charm. Gods who I want to control gods who are a god of everything against this genie type god system israel appears and in chapter 6 verse 4 it starts with this shema israel in other words listen israel listen the lord our god the Lord is one. This is the most precious verse to a devout Hebrew. This verse is the verse that they know by heart. This is the verse that if they have the opportunity and they know they are going to die, they will say this verse and this verse will be spoken in Hebrew on their lips. In World War II, as they would be headed off to the gas chambers. These were the words they were saying in Hebrew. Why is it so precious? Well, Jesus points it out later. He says, upon this, all the law of the prophets hang. 
It is, it is the most concise statement for Israel about God. So listen with me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Here's what's happening. In the sea of polytheism, in the sea of gods, Israel appears and with this one statement says, hey, that's polytheism, but I want to introduce you to the one true God monotheism i want you to know the one god he isn't the god of a tree he is the god who created every tree he is not the god of the wind he is the god who transcends the wind he is not the god of this world he's the god who created this world out of nothing he is the god above all gods he is the one true god and you need to understand that but then he says something different and you shall love. That's a new thing. These gods were to be feared. These gods were to be scared of. These gods were the, I, I know they're going to cheat me or trick me or hurt me. And I got to put them on a leash. I got to put them on a box. And Israel appears and says, guess what? We want to introduce you to the God who can be put in a box. But he's a God that you need to love. And not just love, but love with every drop whatever you have in your body that blew their minds this is totally different so jesus says don't love like the gentiles however israel had a problem they're a lot like us for the surrounding culture dripped into who they were the surrounding culture became part of who they were. So, yes, they prayed to the one God, but they stole the rest of the stuff that the people were doing. They began to pray the same prayers over and over and over. They began to, instead of having a God of the tree I prayed to, if I'm going to deal with the tree, I'm going to pray to God about that tree, but I'm going to pray a special prescribed prayer. It's not going to be about the heart. It's going to be about saying the right incantation, the right statement, the right way, as I'm standing the right direction. And guess what? I can put God in my box. I can make God do what I want him to do. I can put a leash on God. And so the Jewish people became a people who would pray the same prayers and they pray over and over and over and they would just take the same words and pretty soon they were babblers. That's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. Jesus says, don't be like that. Reorient your heart. Quit trying to put God in a box. Quit trying to make him a genie who has to obey you. Quit treating him like you treat the gods of this land. You need to get your heart right. Remember I said earlier, theology matters. What you believe matters. 
And when we come to God, we got to begin by understanding that what we believe about him matters, especially in prayer. For hasn't our culture sometimes creeped into us? I remember one young lady telling me when I confronted her on something, I lovingly went to her and said, what you're doing is destructive. And she said, no, 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 it makes me happy. And God, above all, wants me to be happy. Really? Oh, oh, I, I, I want to have this or I want that. You see, friends, in, the, in that way they worked, in the way the, the Gentile gods worked, if you took all their gods, they really broke down on two sides. One was the gods of nature, one was the gods of the economy. One was the god of health, the other were the gods of wealth. And I want to control God so I either can get what I want in health or what I want with wealth. And Jesus is saying there, are you going to God for health and wealth? Or are you going back to be like the Shema? I go to God because he's God. I go to God because he's God. Everything I get after that, that's bonus. But that's not why I pursue him. I pursue him because he is God. And I pursue him because I love him not for what I can get out of him. Do you see that heart shift? I need to do that. Would you not agree with me that of everyone in Scripture, the ones who gave up everything for Jesus, the ones who deserved a great life would have been the disciples. I mean, they put everything on the line. Every disciple except for John was martyred. Every one of them. And if, and if Christianity was about giving me my health and my wealth, they would have been at the front of the line. But in John chapter 16, which by the way, take John 16 and read the Lord's Prayer side by side. It's kind of a commentary on the Lord's Prayer. But in John chapter 16, Jesus has the people in the upper room, and he has his disciples. And you know how he opens this? He says this, guys, because you follow me, life is going to be easy. Life is going to be so smooth. You're not going to have any problems. How many of you are saying, Pastor, you just started preaching heresy? You better have your hand up. He says, you know what? There's going to be a group of people who are going to be out there and they're going to try to kill you and they're going to think that they're pleasing God because they try. You know what? I'm going to leave you physically, but I'm going to send a Holy Spirit who's going to live among you, who's going to live with you so you'll never be alone. And then he goes on and he says, you know what? In this world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have hard times. 
That's a fact of life. Friends, it is a fact of life. Bad things happen. Hard things happen. I remember being in California and having a friend and I and, and a couple others, we were all up on the mountains looking over the L.A. basin, and it was just beautiful that night. And we saw all the lights, and a friend of mine said, you know what, I heard a preacher once say, every light represents a broken heart. There's some truth to that. Every one of you, if I could sit with you and drill down, my guess is there's something in your life that hurts. It may be a physical challenge, it may be an emotional challenge, it may be a family challenge, but guess what? Everyone has a hurt somewhere. Everyone has a trial. I like what someone once said. They said, you know, be careful how you treat people. You don't know what they're going through. That's pretty true. And Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. And so what do I promise? Do I promise to take all your problems away? Do I promise that if you pray the prayers right and do everything right, I'll make all your problems vanish? I'll get rid of every storm? I'll get rid of every hardship? I'll get rid of every trial? No, he says this. I will give you my peace. And I will go through it with you. That's what it says in John 16. I will give you my peace. And I will go through it with you. And be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Wow. But pastor, is that peace really that great? I was going through a very dark time. My wife and I were with our son. And those of you who've had children that have strayed know what I'm talking about. And he was doing things that, that was self-destructive and I kept praying and praying and praying and wanting, wanting the prayers to work, but they just kept bouncing off the ceiling. And finally, in desperation, I cried out and said, Father, I give up. Your will be done. You do what you want. Huh. Somehow I stumbled on praying the same thing Jesus prayed. Not a bad guy to follow, huh? And later on, someone came to me and goes, Greg, I don't know how you go through what you go through. I couldn't go through that. I would be just devastated. I'd be just destroyed to go through what you're going through. And I looked at him and I said, you know what? I can't explain it because everything still hurts just as bad. And his decisions are just as devastating. But my wife and I both have a core of in our souls that can't be touched. There's a peace there. I still hurt. I still don't know where tomorrow's strength is going to come from other than looking to the, to the Lord because he doesn't ever give it to me ahead of time. But there's a peace. 
And I began to understand that even if I didn't feel it, God's promise of going through those storms with me, going through that hard time with me, was true. You say, how do you get that though, Pastor? Look at the rest of the verse. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. Don't be like the Gentiles who do this because they have gods that are cruel, gods that are mean, gods that they have to put in a box, gods that they want to control, gods that they're afraid of. Don't be like them because they keep trying their magic incantations. Because you have a father. Recalibrate. You don't have these gods that are cruel and mean. You have a father. You have a father. Now, I know in our world that doesn't mean much to some of us. We've had bad earthly dads. And for that, I'm sorry. But when the Jewish person would have heard this, they would have thought of a father who cared. They would have thought of Psalm 103, which says that he is filled with compassion. They would have thought of a father whose arms are open as the child runs to them. They would have thought of a father who nothing was more important to him than taking care of his kids. Jesus says, when you pray, don't forget you have a dad. Don't forget you have a father who loves you, who cares about you, who wants you in his presence, who calls you his great treasure, his great gift. Don't forget that. And you know what? Not only forget that, but, but realize this, who knows what you need even before you ask him. There's a way we can rephrase this. Who knows what you need even before you do. And who knows what you really need. You know, often we don't know what we really need. I remember going to a car lot one time with my wife. We needed a car. And I had my eye on this Toyota Camry. Yeah, baby. We sat down with the guy, and he started crunching numbers. And he goes, it's not going to work. I'm like, oh. He said, what else do you have on the lot? I've got to have a car. He showed me a Suzuki Swift. Automatic, nope. Standard. Air conditioning, nope. And we're in California, in the Central Valley, where it gets to 115 degrees. Okay, how much? And we work through it, and, uh, you know, it's just this tiny, tiny little car. But it fit my needs it 
got me from point A to point B. It got 50 miles to gallon on the freeway. I just didn't like going on the freeway because all the tires of the trucks were bigger than me. I mean, it was little. It was so little I'd roll down the window and dogs would come up and lick me through the window. Basset hounds. I mean, it was little. But God provided that perfectly for that season. And when it came time to trade it in, God said, I I gave this to you for a reason because you needed this to get your next car and I'm going to give you more for this than you paid for it. And it's, it's going to be used because that's what you need. But God, that's not what I wanted. No, but that's what you need. And you have a father who not only knows what you need before you do, but he knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly what you need. And he's only going to give you what you need because he loves you. You don't have to try to put him in a box. Guess what? You can't. Any box you put him in, he's going to break out. You can't put him on a leash. Putting him on a leash is like riding a bike and having a St. Bernard pull you. It will go where it wants to go. You can't do that with God. So let me paraphrase this, this whole verse for you. And when you pray, don't babble. Don't try to say the right thing to make God do what you want him to do. God isn't impressed by your many words. He's not impressed by what you give and what you promise. Instead, don't forget, you have a father who loves you. A father who knows what you need before you ask him. A father who delights in giving you what you need. A father who has promised that he will never leave you. That he will never forsake you. And that when the storms come, and they will, he will give you a peace that will all your understanding. Say, Pastor Greg, so I got to recalibrate my heart. I got to throw out the idea I can put God on a leash. I got to throw out the idea that it's all about what I can get, but it's all about being in the presence of a father who loves me. Yeah, you got it. But what about when life is tough? Her name is Margaret Powers. And she wrote this poem. I'd like to share it with you because I think it sums it up best. One night I dreamed a dream. 
I was walking along the beach with my Lord. Across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. And when the last scene of my life shot before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. There was only one set of footprints. I realized that this was at the lowest and saddest times of my life. This always bothered me, and I questioned my Lord about my dilemma. Lord, you told me when I decided to follow you that you would walk and talk with me all the way, but I am aware that during the most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I just don't understand why, when I needed you most, you leave me. And he whispered, my precious child, I love you, and I will never leave you, never, ever, during your trials and testings. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then I carried you. Oh, friends, don't forget, you have a father who promised that he will never leave you, never forsake you, who will give you his peace. And when storms are tough, he will carry you, whether you realize it or not. Father, we come to you now. As we now are recalibrating our hearts, we're not going to try to go to prayer for our own purpose of exalting ourselves nor are we going to prayer because it's all about what we can get. We understand, Father, we go to prayer because of who you are. And I pray now that as we do this, as we become people immersed in the word, immersed in understanding, it's not about manipulating you to get what we want, but it's about being with you. I pray you would guide and direct us this week as we apply this to our lives. In Jesus' name.